This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Manchester by the Sea. If you could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man, he was going to keep you happy, if it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I don't think you're wrong about that. Hello, this is Lee. What happened to my brother? So that's Lee Lee Chandler. I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I swear. I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. All right, everybody. So that was the trailer for Manchester by the Sea. Definitely been the subject of much talk this award season since it debuted at Sundance Film Festival last year. The story is, after the death of his older brother, Joe, Lee Chandler is shocked that Joe has made him the sole guardian of his teenage nephew, Patrick. Taking leave of his job as a janitor in Boston, Lee reluctantly returns to Manchester by the Sea, the fishing village where his working class family has lived for generations. There, he is forced to deal with a past that separated him from his wife, Randy, and the community where he was born and raised. It is starring Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, Kyle Chandler, Gretchen Mole, and Lucas Hedges. It is written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan. If you don't know who Kenneth Lonergan is, shame on you. He is also the writer and director of You Can Count On Me and Margaret, starring Anna Paquin, which <laughs> this humble review over here says you guys should definitely check out. I'm a big Kenneth Lonergan fan. Very, very excited to talk about this. But let's first throw it over to Michael Schwartz. We are also being joined, though, by Kristen as well for this review. But, Michael, what did you think of Manchester by the Sea? So, Manchester by the Sea is a film I have been waiting to see ever since Sundance back in January. So, almost a whole year waiting for this one. Yeah. Just like you, I love Kenneth Lonergan's work. I think Margaret is an underrated masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And uh, You Can Count on Me has extraordinary performances. And he's also a great playwright. He did This Is Our Youth on Broadway, among some other things that he did in London. So, yeah, he's just a treasure. Uh, and looking at this one in terms of his other filmography... I'm very eager to see it again before I can make the declaration that I think this might be his best film. Wow. I was so incredibly moved by this film. 
it's a tragedy that manages to have moments of levity thrown in there. Casey Affleck's performance is nothing short of extraordinary. I've always like seen him in supporting roles, but never knew he was capable of a performance like this. Lucas Hedges, who made a cameo appearance in Moonrise Kingdom a few years ago, also extraordinary as the nephew Patrick. Michelle Williams, too, comes up as a supporting character here in about two or three scenes and just blows it out of the water. There is so much to appreciate this, about this film that's under the surface. It's very subtle, and it doesn't always tell you what the characters are thinking, but they say so much by what they aren't saying. And I think that is something so rare to see in films these days. Everything is so loud and noisy at the multiplex that when a film like this comes along, just a human drama that feels relatable in a lot of ways. I just felt myself blown away by the magnitude and the scope of this film that manages to be small on the surface, but say so much about these characters and this community. So yeah, I am a huge fan of this. This is one of the best films of the year. And I'm eager to hear what uh, Kristen thinks also. Mm, Well, let's find out. Kristen, what did you think of Manchester by the Sea? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I I thought this was fine. Um, Just fine? Just fine. Just fine. And I've seen this twice now. Um, And I mean, don't get me wrong. I have been a Casey Affleck fangirl for a long time. I'm talking the good, bad, and the what the hell did I just watch. Um, I, you, He's been in it. I've probably watched it. Um, and I know that he is persona non grata right now. And as a woman, I feel very conflicted. But um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm coming at this as, as somebody who wanted to like this a lot. And I think the hype kind of did this in for me because everybody was touting this as oh it's gonna emotionally destroy you it's the best movie ever made and i it's so great and i mean it's definitely michael is right it's got some great moments of levity it's a very um authentic look at grief um and a person's inability to get past the mistakes that they've made and, and live with that regret. And Casey Affleck's fantastic. Um, but I just, I didn't feel, I thought this was good. I didn't think this was superlative. Uh, I think that there were better movies out this year. I had some issues with the way that women were presented. Um, and I don't know. I just, I thought this was a, a good movie, but I wasn't falling over myself for this. I think I cried more at you know some of the the animated films this year than I did at this this just kind of like oh that's really sad um and I know somebody's gonna say oh well if you've never ever lost somebody in your life I have I I know grief and and all of that I mean I've never lost anybody to the extent that the characters do in this movie but I don't know I think I think that the typical kind of festival hype for this really determines your overall appreciation of it so I know exactly what you mean because I saw this at the New York Film Festival this year where there was a lot of hype going into it. And when the screening was over and we all left, there were some people that were saying, oh, my God, that's the best film I've seen in 25 years. That That is the best film I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Were you crying? I was crying. And I felt very much the same way. Like, I didn't cry. I, I felt the emotion. I got it. And I thought that Kenneth Lonergan did a masterful job at writing this movie. 
Um, as far as the way he directs actors, I think that it's also absolutely incredible. There are a couple of scenes uh, between Lucas Hedges and Casey Affleck that just feel so real and so lived in. And by God, when you get to that scene with him and Michelle Williams, it's one of the best scenes I've seen this year. It's not about the scene, but it's about how the film builds up to that moment. Oh, I understand that. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I, no, I, mean, I, I, I do I understand. about so much. I totally understand what you're saying. Like the emotional impact of that doesn't just come from what's written there. It's also just everything history. within it. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. Uh, so I, it was funny because when the screening was over, I, I went to the bathroom afterwards. And when I got out of the bathroom, guess who's walking right by me in the hallway? It's Kenneth Lonergan. Ah. He's got somebody escorting him and everything. And it's just me and him in the hallway. And I'm walking right by him. And I just stopped him for a moment. I, and I just said, sir, thank you so much for this movie. Because I feel very strongly that when you write and direct your films, you have a way of telling such intimate and personal stories on a grand scale. And where everybody nowadays is trying to make grand scale movies with high budgets and technology, et cetera, et cetera, you instead explore something that's so much more profound and has such a deeper impact on people. And that's the capacity for the human spirit. And I wanted to just thank you for giving us that. He said, thank you. And he walked away. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it is a film that at times feels, like I said, so raw and so honest and so real that I almost can't believe that the dialogue was specifically written. That's how authentic this film feels to me. Mind you, performances are absolutely incredible. So I've, you know, obviously championed out the writing. I've championed the performances in this. I mean, what else can be said about Casey Affleck that hasn't been said already? Seriously. Michelle Williams, she makes the most of her screen time in this. Unbelievably so. Lucas Hedges is a breakout star. Everybody else is completely solid here. My biggest gripe with this movie is the way that Kenneth Lonergan chose to edit the film. I think that the film is a tad bit too long. And I also think that the way that he weaves in the flashbacks in the movie are confusing. They're jarring. And they took me out of the movie and they broke the illusion from me. So much so that I think that when I was supposed to have the quote unquote waterworks, I couldn't because I was in the moment and I felt distracted. My mom will feel so vindicated right now because she kept screaming at me when I made her watch this, saying, are we in the past? Are we in the present? I'm not understanding how this is working. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I went to a Q&A with uh, Lonergan um, after the screening, and he explained his decision to do that and why he chose to edit the film that way. And it was so funny because I wish I could tell you right now why that is. Um <laughs> But it was such an answer that I was so unsatisfied with that I completely disregarded it and I've forgotten it since. But whatever the case may be, I don't think it works. So you could defend it and say whatever you want about it. I, I don't think that the editing in this film helps the film. I think it actually only serves to hurt it more so than anything. Michael, I'm very curious what you think. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear you say that because I had heard from some people going in that they didn't like the way it was structured, but I didn't hear why they felt that way. So when I'm watching these flashback scenes, I wasn't confused at all because, like, I think there was enough to make it clear that we were in the past at different moments. It's not jumping ahead. It's just going back, like, a, a couple of years. 
like when we see these moments of characters who are no longer on screen, like the Kyle Chandler character, that's not a spoiler because it's what sets the film in motion. You already know the status of his character. So when you see him there, don't you already know, oh, this is obviously years ago because he's talking now and we're seeing him on screen? Absolutely. No, no, no. I I get it. You're supposed to put two and two together like that. But imagine if you were watching this movie cold and imagine you were the Sundance crowd. There's no trailer for the movie. There's no real like synopsis. Possibly you're walking into this cold. I, I just don't see how you justify that necessarily. Well, I mean, let's just talk a little bit more about the Kyle Chandler character. Like I said, it's not a spoiler. So we could go into it a little bit more like unlike any other film. We know that this character had died. Right. Uh, yes. So when we cut back a couple of years to see him in a hospital bed, learning that he's sick, that that even if you're seeing that at Sundance for the first time, you're not able to connect that this is before. You are, but there is still a moment. It's the transition. It's not so much the fact that that scene is happening and we're in it and we recognize that we're in it and it's taking place, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go, oh, yeah, this must, this must be in the past because he's already dead. So he's alive here. It's more so the transition of how did Lonergan decide to cut from this to that? You just found that jarring from how it goes from one to the other. Right. I think the, the problem that I had isn't the ones with Kyle Chandler because we know he's dead. The transitions that I don't think work are the ones that you don't know because the characters are not living or dead. Like when they flash back to um, the first scene where we introduced Michelle Williams. And that was one that, that really confused um, my mom <laughs> because he's looking out a window and then we cut to this house and it's Michelle Williams and, and all of that. So there's no shadowing there in terms of what we're meant to be connecting right away and you know you're, you're looking at him looking out this window at a at a house and you're not really sure how to put two and two together is that his house is that what what is this view signifying for him how does that connect to the flashback we haven't seen michelle williams previously so how do we know that's a character that's no longer in his life things like that so i mean um, unless you're really it it is something that takes a couple of of scenes to get acclimated to because unlike other movies where you know the the flashbacks are very explicitly telegraphed this one is it's a bit confusing in terms of how the structure works okay i I do hear what you're saying i can't say i felt the same way about it but I definitely see where you're I, I will say I had no problem following the movie. So it for I think it's it's just about being, you know, depending on how discerning you are, how invested in it you are already, it's gonna come off or not. Yeah. I will say this, I wasn't confused while watching it, like I understood. Right. I just think it shows Kenneth Lonergan's uh, lack of experience as a director still, lack of skill also. Um but by God, though, I like I don't want to sound like I'm being too negative here. His writing is some of the best I've seen this year. I listened to him on NPR earlier this week. He was talking to Terry Gross, and he has a very specific way of writing some of these scenes, one of them being uh, a talk-over scene where it's uh, Casey Affleck and Lucas Hedges talking at the same time, and he writes that in a way that it's supposed to be like uh, – 
you know, dialogue that you can't understand. They're saying stuff, but it's supposed to be talking over one another, and there's a pacing that has to go with that. So it's not just him writing it that way, but it's also the actors delivering it in the way that he wants it. It's really hard to write that and have it play on screen. See, that was an element that bothered me at times. Um, I'm all for capturing, because, I mean, we all know talking is something that's not one person waiting for another person to finish speaking, that people do talk over each other and, and all of that. And I'm fine with that and trying to show how humans actually communicate with each other. I think it was a little hard to follow um, because my my screener had subtitles, fortunately, and I had to turn them on at a certain point just so that I could make sure that I caught what was being said. And I mean, in some of those scenes, like when it's between Lucas Hedges and Casey Affleck, they're speaking very clearly. When it's other characters, though, you don't always get that nuance in their language. So I I always feel like yelling for the sake of yelling in movies is kind of a poor way to deliver dialogue. And here, I think it really depends on the actors being able to convey all that while talking over each other. But part of it might be a regional thing, too. Like, these are Northeastern, like, Irish working class people, and it's not to stereotype or anything like that. But, you know, it's just a very loud, big personality, and there's a lot of arguing that goes on. And I think that could be attributed to these type of people and where they come from, the background, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... The cool thing I like about this movie as well is how much it utilizes the location as a character and how that influences the actual characters in this film. This, When I watched this story unfold, it felt so real to me. Like, I can't explain it other than to say that so many films, you know, you watch them and you know that they're films and they feel artificial. This literally felt like fly on the wall. These are real people with real complex human emotions, with real histories. And we're seeing that unfold. And to me, I think that's the most fascinating magic trick that this movie does uh, pull on us here. Does it always succeed? Uh, like I said, that, that those, that, those moments of the uh, editing kind of take me out a little bit. I wasn't the biggest fan of the classical music, although I kind of dug it a little bit. Really? Did you got like were you guys taking it off, like off at all like on the first opening pushing over the water and then the choir comes over the credits and it was like, "Oh, okay." Oh no, that was one of my favorite aspects about the movie. Yeah. Oh no, no, no I, I don't hate it. I don't I, I don't want I don't hate it. I just found that also to be um an unusual yet still inspiring choice on Lonergan's part. There's one piece of music, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it plays over a pivotal scene in maybe the first 45 minutes of the movie. I'm sure you both know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that he incorporates that, also used as an editing transition, because it plays over different periods of time. The way that it's used and the way that it sets the mood of the scene, I found staggering. Like It's not an original thing. But it's just the way that he takes this piece of music that's been around for years and years and years and puts it within this context, I found to be, I don't want to say moving because it's not that type of scene, but uh, very powerful. I will say this. Um, Michelle Williams is responsible for two of the most emotionally devastating moments in the whole film. You know, people can say that Casey Affleck's performance is the epitome 
of emotional devastation. But I got it. I got to say, with the limited amount of screen time that she does have in this movie, she knocks it out of the park, in my opinion. I, I think she absolutely killed it in the scenes where she really needed to do so. Am, am I? Do you guys agree or disagree? Uh, I found her to be very moving and powerful here. She is so capable of doing so much, and we don't always give her credit for that. Because, I mean, she did Brokeback Mountain. These are her big Oscar-nominated performances. Brokeback, uh, Blue Valentine, My Week with Marilyn, and now this. There is such range between that type of work. And even though this is a smaller performance, the amount of power she's able to get out of it, I found really to be impressive. Yeah, I mean, Michelle Williams, she's always great. I mean, I've I've been a big fan of her since uh since her Dawson's Creek days. So I mean, she's, I've I've always found her to be capable and she's good at acting the the performance. I had a problem with how she's written. That was kind of my my big issue um with a lot of the female characters in this movie. Um her character were only given a few scenes by which to make an impact and to to know about her. And we get um, a scene where she's the typical kind of shrewish wife. Like she looks like she's just got out of bed and she's screaming. And, uh, you know, know, you're not supposed to really... be feeling for her character in that in that moment. And I noticed that when I was watching this with other people, um, after she screams at Casey Affleck's friends, he says a line and everybody in my room laughed. And I said, no, that's that proves that you're supposed to not be siding with her character. You're supposed to be siding with his character. And and then, you know, this bad, bad stuff happens and you do feel for her. But at the same time, when she has this big confession at the end, it just kind of seems like she's apologizing for the wrong things um, because there's a line of dialogue where Casey Affleck's character reveals that well, we can't do this because of a medical problem that she has, which directly kind of contributes to what happens in a certain scene. And I'm being very vague mm-hmm. for a big reason. And so I yep. kind of looked at my mom and I said, so wait, are we secretly saying that if she wasn't such a pain in the ass... That wouldn't have happened. I mean, I just, I felt like that character is just written to be so many different things. It's supposed to be condemning her by kind of proxy, even though his actions are are definitely at fault. The movie does kind of like say to her, like her character, like, ah, this is kind of your fault too. And I was like, no, no, why do we have to do that? And so when she has this breakdown scene at the end, it's well acted. But I was still like, why does the movie feel that she has to be the one to kind of make amends? Because I, I don't know, the way the women are written in this movie is very poor. And I, I think I think that she can, you know, that that was that was just kind of where I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I will say this, that I think a far more interesting movie would have been to split the perspectives between. the Yes. Two instead of having it all focus on Casey Affleck, because I did feel slightly cheated that we got such limited screen time with Michelle Williams' character. And I really did truly want to know how she had been processing and handling uh, her emotions uh, since the big event that occurs in this film. It, it felt like almost like a missed opportunity in a way 
But I will say one thing that I was not expecting at all that was sprinkled throughout this movie in many, many, many moments. And that is how much humor is in this movie. There is a lot of funny moments here that I genuinely got a couple laughs out of that I was just not expecting. And I think that that's a testament to Kenneth Lonergan's ability, once again, as a writer, um, to make it feel as realistic as possible in that when something really terrible happens in your life, and I mean, I I just had a funeral um, earlier this year for a family member, um, there's still people that are still trying to make you smile, trying to make you laugh, and telling jokes, even if it's not sometimes appropriate, or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's just how people are. We use moments of levity to try to pulse out of these deep pits of grief. And so, I found that to be very, very interesting, and I also really appreciated that aspect of the film. It felt very honest, but also a testament to Lonergan, who apparently, and you can see this through some of his other work as well, has a very dry sense of humor, whether it be in, like, Analyze This, which he wrote, or even, uh, dare I say it, Rocky and Bullwinkle from 2000. And you see it also, like, You Can Count On Me and Margaret. He takes these hefty subjects but injects him with just the right amount of humor to make them rise above unbearable pain into something relatable and honest. Yeah. Yeah, the the humor elements, I think, work best when it's, you know, Lucas Hedges has a lot of, of moments because he spends half the movie trying to get laid um and so like uh you know the 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 dollhouse there's a scene with the dollhouse that i thought was really funny um or (laughs) or casey affleck telling him you know he can't handle if he's gonna flip out every time he sees a frozen chicken um you know individual (laughs) individual lines like that i think are really funny and and especially the scenes where um lucas hedge's friends are trying to to comfort him that's that's something I've definitely experienced um, in terms of moments of grief. So I, I enjoyed that that element. I think that comes off very well. The thing about the frozen chicken that you had just mentioned, I was listening in that same interview with Lonergan where he was saying that he did not write that to be a funny line. But whenever it plays with audiences, he thinks there's something about the word chicken that they find funny in it the context is. of that moment. Well, I think it's, that brings out a laugh. I think it's also the way Casey Affleck says it, because he has an ability to take lines that should not be funny, and just the way, either the way he looks or the way he says it, you, it usually gets a laugh. Oddly enough, in the movies where he's supposed to be funny, it doesn't always work. <laughs> hmm. um, one other thing I do want to just point out about the about the film is... How did everybody feel about the way that the film ends? Without getting into spoilers, obviously it'll be as vague as possible. Did you guys feel satisfied by the ending? Because I will say this, there's a line of dialogue that Casey Affleck says that I thought was the appropriate line of dialogue. I just felt that like from a standpoint of, okay, this is where we're going to end the film. I didn't really uh, appreciate that, but the line of dialogue that I really like, it's one of my favorite lines of the year, is when he says, I just can't beat it. I, I, oh my God, did I love that moment so much. But then the film kind of goes on a little bit after that. And then when it ends, I just, 
I don't know if I felt like a little unfulfilled necessarily or if I wanted something a little bit more profound, um, like that moment that had come before. Uh, what did you guys think? I'd, I'd be interested to hear what people think about this ending versus the ending of Nocturnal Animals, because I think those endings are somewhat similar in terms of ambiguity. Um, because my my thing with the ending was is that there's a character that is offered an opportunity in the beginning of the film uh, regarding Lucas Hedge's character. And he turns it down. And at the end of that, the movie, the same character comes back and they work it out and the decision is made. Um, and again, I'm being very vague. And I was kind of like, there's a, a conversation between Casey Affleck and this character that is done with um, classical music over it. And I was kind of like, wait, I want to know how that discussion works because the character previously was kind of like, no, I'm not really interested, and now that character is interested. So I was I was a little... Um, I wanted to see the mechanics of how that decision had been reached because it is such a pivotal point of the movie where Lucas Hedge's character is going to go. So I wanted to know how a decision was made because that's essentially what you're working up to the entire movie. Um, in terms of, like, the final final couple of moments um yeah that that final interaction between them that final dialogue exchange is really good because it does explain kind of Casey Affleck's entire personality his reticence to wanting to connect with everybody or his lack of connection um and then the final scene is again kind of connecting to the beginning um both of them taking place on a boat um but I, I, honest, I just wanted the decision-making to be a bit clearer because it is such a momentous element of the movie. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people saying that they have an issue with the ending of this. And uh, what Kristen was just talking about, I don't know if she's talking about the same thing I'm thinking of right now, but I really did not find anything to be a, an issue here because, as we've been saying in this entire review, it all feels human and honest in a way, and that... It's not going to wrap a bow around it here. It's just going to go on as life tends to do. So nothing is uh, closed, sealed, done. It just leaves the door open for you to wonder as an audience, you know what, this might just go on the way that we think it does in life. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. So I can't really criticize it for anything because that's just how life happens. And like I said, I'll be seeing it again, so maybe I'll look at it a different way a second time. But just from this initial viewing, yeah, I really don't understand this criticism that people have with it. I mean, it's fine to have, but... I think it's, once again, just one of those things where on the page and thematically, it makes perfect sense, but just aesthetically, like, Lonergan's um, skill as a director, I don't know if he fully nails it. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you see it that way. I mean, I seem to be a lot higher on this than... Uh, both of you are with certain aspects here, but yeah, it just, it really didn't bother me at all. Well, let's then uh, pass it off to just that. Kristen, final thoughts on the film, great out of 10, and any Oscar potential, of which there is definitely some, but by all means. Um, well, I got told that if I didn't love this, I have no soul. So I guess I am soulless. Uh, the girl who cried at Finding Dory did not cry, cry at this. Um, but I liked it. Um, again, I know Casey Affleck is a persona non grata right now. And I'm still... I, I, I went and saw it. I went and saw it knowing what I knew about him. So uh, I think he's, he's good. I think the movie is good. But... 
I don't know. I just, I didn't fall over myself for this movie. It's not going to be my best movie of the year by a long shot. Um, it'll probably be somewhere in my 10. Um, it's good. It's, I can't give it any higher praise than that. Um, in terms of Oscar p- uh, potential, I don't have my predictions in front of me, but I know I had it for picture. I know I had it for actor. I know I had it for supporting actress for Michelle Williams. I think I also had it for supporting actor for Lucas Hedges, though I'm not really confident on that one. Um, I also had it for screenplay, and I think that's it. Of course, somebody will tell me if it'll if it showed up somewhere else, but those are the ones I, I'm thinking of right now. And Michael, great out of 10, Oscar potential, final thoughts? You know, we tend to gravitate towards the movies that relate to us in a lot of ways. And while I have never been in the situation that the Casey Affleck character is in here, thankfully I've never had tragedy on the level of this. But in terms of just a character drama about, you know, these middle-class Northeastern people, you know, coming from a community not exactly tight-knit, but everyone seems to be in relation to one another here, I like stories like this. I like dramas that deal with dysfunctional families or just uh, things that tend to come up that people deal with in their everyday lives. So a story like this is right up my alley. As I've said, I really was blown away by the magnitude of this film, just in terms of its power, its emotion, and even its humor at times, like we said. So with only a handful of films left to see in 2016, I'm not ready to say this is my favorite, but at the moment, it is my favorite film of the year. And for the first time on the Next Best Picture podcast, I am going to give this film a 10. Wow. Yes, the first one this year. I've uh, come close a few times, but this is the one that did it for me. If this changes on a second viewing, if I just end up hating it for whatever reason, I doubt that'll happen, but I'll be the first to let all of you know that, yes, I'm uh, going big with this one. As for Oscars, I think it'll get Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, and uh, possibly Best Supporting Actor for Lucas Hedges. Oscars don't usually have a great relationship with younger males, as we saw last year with Jacob Tremblay in Room. But you never know. It could happen. So, yeah, I think this is going to have a very good morning and factor into the season in a very big way. So, yeah, best film of the year so far for me. Um, I'm not as high on it as you, Michael. Uh, Kristen, I don't think I'm as low on it either. I do think it is a tad bit overhyped. Um, there are things that I appreciate about it. And there are things that kind of slightly annoy me about it here and there. Um, for example, there are so many scenes in the movie that illustrate Casey Affleck's character um, and give him layer upon layer upon layer. But you only realize this in retrospect. While I was watching the film, I'm asking myself, do we really have to see this scene? Do we really like need this right now? This just feels like filler, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Once you get to this pivotal moment in the film and you realize uh, this event that has occurred in his past that has come to define who he is as a person, it all makes sense. But once again, this all just stems from Kenneth Lonergan's uh, positives as a writer, and I think his negatives as a director. And he'll be the first to tell you he doesn't really know his way around the camera all that extremely well. Like, he knows how to use it on a basic level, but he's not a flashy director. He also doesn't employ necessarily a flashy cinematographer. He's not necessarily interested in that. He's interested in writing 
complex characters and also getting great performances out of his actors like any great playwright would. And I think it is there that he succeeds. Um, I give this film an 8 out of 10. It's still one of the best films I've seen this year, although I can tell you probably it's not going to make my top 10. Um, Really? Yeah. I I think, however, that Casey Affleck's performance is – the best male performance I've seen so far this year. And Michelle Williams, I, I it's between her and Naomi Harris for me as far as the best supporting uh, male uh, female performances I've seen this year. I can't necessarily say who I think is better than the other, um, although I am almost maybe giving the slight edge to Naomi Harris. Um so yeah, it, it didn't blow me the way that I thought it was going to. That that does tie a little bit into that hype uh, perspective. However, I don't want it to sound like I hated this movie. I, I really quite like this movie a lot, and it did have a profound impact on me when I was leaving the theater. But when I heard people saying it's the best film they've seen in like 25 years, I, I got to like turn to them and be like, really? Seriously? Think of all the movies that have come out the last 25 years, and, and you're going to stand behind that? Really? I, I just don't see it that way. It's not the best I've seen in 25 years, but it's one of the best. Uh, yeah, no, I can't, I, can't, I can't possibly say that, unfortunately. I will say this, though. I do think it is my favorite of Kenneth Lonergan's films so far. Um, because as much as I love Margaret, there's so many flaws in that movie. Um, and you can count on me as a really solid, nice film to introduce him to us as a uh, writer-director talent. But... You know, there, there, there's potential for greater work to come from that. And I think that he has made a very good step forward in his career with this film. And I'm very, very excited to see what he comes out with next. Well, apparently he's working on an adaptation of Howard's End for BBC. Oh, that's really exciting. That should be really cool. Oh, man. Kenneth Lonergan uh, writing uh, BBC television. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um as far as Oscar potential goes, though, I do have this in picture, actor, supporting actress. I do have it in supporting actor, and I do have it in screenplay. Um, I will be shocked if this film gets into editing, and I will be less shocked if Lonergan gets into director. But we've seen them nominate other people like Alexander Payne, who doesn't necessarily do flashy directing either, and has these stories about real people, real situations. Um, you know, he writes his own films as well. So if he can get in, uh, especially for things like Descendants, Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera, I think that Kenneth Lonergan could potentially get in, even though I'm not predicting him at this moment. This reminded me a lot of an Alexander Payton film, which is really high praise, considering he's one of my five favorite filmmakers working today. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. And Lonergan is also great as well. Um, I would put them definitely in the same category together for sure. Uh, With that said, do you guys agree or disagree with our comments here on Manchester by the Sea? Be sure to let us know in the comments section. Also, feel free to write us a review on iTunes. Uh, You know, you can pretty much write that in disagreement if you would like, or you could give us some high praise if you'd like, whatever the case may be. But either way, we really, really appreciate all your thoughts on the matter and let us know truly what it is you think. Before we get out of here, though, Kristen, where can they find you on the internet? I am always at Twitter at Journeys underscore Bill. And Michael, where can they find you? On Twitter at MikeMovie. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Next Best Picture. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. Like I was saying before, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. We thank you so much for your listens, and we will see you all next time. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.